Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am happy to welcome back Kimberly Sharp to the program. Kimberly is a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Washington. She is also the author of After the Light. She's founder of the Seattle International Association of Near-Death Studies, the world's oldest support group for near-death experiencers. She was the founder of the Department of Social Work at the world's first bone marrow transplant center and pioneer in the field of critical care social work. She taught terminal illness seminars in the School of Medicine at the University of Washington, where she was also a clinical assistant professor in the School of Social Work. Kimberly, welcome back to the program. So I loved your book, um, After the Light, um, The Spiritual Path of Purpose. What, What inspired you to write this book and what do you feel is the spiritual path to purpose? Oh, well, thank you for asking. Um, Nothing inspired me to write it. I was told to (laughs) basically by, you know, God or the homey home resident that we spoke of. But the spiritual path to purpose, I'm telling you, we all have a spiritual path to purpose. And people say, well, how can I find my purpose? And honestly, it sounds so mundane, but just breathe in and breathe out. You're fulfilling God's purpose. Our purpose is to live. Our purpose is to experience. Our purpose is to be grateful for those experiences. Our purpose is to love um, at whatever level that love is. It doesn't have to be highfalutin at all. It just, uh, it's, it's easy. Just exist and be nice. And, and that fulfills our spiritual purpose. But we're here for the experiences. So. And you don't have to go to like Machu Picchu or whatever to have those experiences. Just look at the flowers in bloom. Look at that grass. It's aware. Look at that grass. Uh, Look at all the cars blocking your pathway in rush hour. Isn't it marvelous that we have cars because a hundred years ago we didn't. I mean, just, you know, just observe, take it all in and be grateful. That's our purpose. Beautiful. So I I listened to an interview recently with you and Dr. Bruce Grayson, um, and you talked about your work and interviews with young children. And can you just tell us a little bit about that and how you feel humanity would change if we, children already know, of course, especially when they're very young because they're so connected to the source, but if they were validated and encouraged and to help them to live in love, not fear, especially when when a loved one passes? Well, thank you for asking because kids are the best witnesses out there. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, again, it's just like writing a book. These things come to me. I don't seek out anything. You know, I've never applied for a job. I never even applied to graduate school. I was asked to do. Now, it's not work getting to the work, but the work is hard once I'm in it. But I still love it. Um, so one day, uh, a young resident by the name of Melvin Morris came into my Harborview office. And he had... Um, met a child who'd almost drowned and was directed to me all oh, that you know that Kim that social worker knows something about that and that led to a study that he did and a book that he published but also in 1982 I co-founded something called the Seattle International Association for Near-Death Studies at seattleiands.org by the way or then there's the mother load of all research information at ions.org, I-A-N-D-S dot O-R-G. Uh, that is the mother love. Um, anyway, so I had this group going and, and word got out. And so that was 1982, uh, four of us met. And the next time there was 25, like, whoa, it was just word of mouth. So uh, parents began to bring in children and that's where uh, I met most of the kids, <clears throat> some socially. Sometimes I met a, a parent who said, my child had this. And it was like, out of my way, I want to interview this kid. Right. And I loved it. So here's the thing about children. They're so authentic. It's not like, you know, they get up in the night while grownups are asleep and somehow communicate. No internet for most of my career, at least in those early days. Uh, and say, hey, I got a fast one to pull on parents. <laughs> um, I love kids. And I used to go, uh, I used to carry uh, crayons. Children don't have words. And, and somewhere, and not in the garage, somewhere actually in our house in a box, are drawings of that children have done of, you know, what you draw where you were. So I started out with eight crayons and had to go to the big like 60 pack or whatever the largest one was because you know, they wanted fuchsia. I'm going to have fuchsia. They didn't say fuchsia. They just said, no, wrong pink, wrong pink. Okay. <clears throat> um, oh, gosh, I have so many children's stories. Uh, usually they're very simple. Uh, Melvin Morris's book is closer to the light. Well, it's mainly because they go, yeah, I went to the light. And I came back. Got any gum? I mean, it's pretty. <laughs> it's like going to the grocery store. All that's new, too. So. Yes. Uh, and as you've said, they're, they're so close to the source that it's just not earth-shaking. It's not a big deal. And as PMH Atwater says, you know, they don't have a, a past. They're, they're just there. They're, it, everything is in the moment. Yes. Yeah. Um, and again, crayons are a good idea, though, because language isn't so great. Uh, there's differences as people get older and older, in my experience, in the complexity of NDEs. So whereas the very youngest might say, yeah, I went to light, yeah, it was love, yeah, and, and back to the gut gum, or uh, it's not a big deal. Uh, but I interviewed a three-year-old. I was getting pretty young. Yes. She had words that were uncommon for someone that age. And she, I can't remember how she almost died, but she found herself in a beautiful setting and this is when it gets interesting too. People, especially children, not raised in a Christian home who then meet Jesus. 
That's I find that interesting. Yes. I don't define it. I just find it interesting. Right. But she was in a beautiful place, you know, trees in the garden, and there was Jesus reading to children. And she just loved Jesus. And she wanted to bring Jesus a present. Or she said a present. Her R's were not fully formed. So she looked around for a present for Jesus and saw a flower. And she bent down to pluck the flower and realized that flower was alive. Well, I understood that concept because that grass was alive in my heaven. I got that. So she said, oh, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't take that flower. <laughs> so she found a field mouse and chased it down. And field mice are the cutest things. So these are koala ears. You know, they're so cute. And she kept this field mouse and brought it over Jesus. And of course, Jesus loved it. And I just, that story is just, I haven't told that story in a long time. That just popped into my head. Lord. And then flash forward to another story that popped into my head, a 15-year-old. And by the way, these are all out of Seattle Irons. I, no stories that I share are, oh, I heard of. These, every story I tell has been told to me by someone that I can touch if not have on my lap, like the three-year-old. Um, oh, and there's also, as I'm getting off subject, but there's also a four-year-old speaking of laps that came in and uh, he had gone to a heaven and he was busy. I had my crayons on my paper and he was drawing all the animals that he saw. And he got really frustrated because he couldn't draw a bee's head, but he saw bumblebees. I mean, heaven is alive, I tell you, it's alive. And people say, well, I see my pet again. Yeah, you will. You know, if it has fins, fur, feet, breathe. I mean, yeah, yeah, you can be reunited. That's another broadcast. Anyway, so this 15-year-old, um, he was uh, just crippled by lung disease and um, was, was used to hospitalizations, being ill, you know, being painfully short of breath. And, and at one point, his breath pretty much stopped. Um, he did live because he told me this story with his parents who brought him in, who accepted him completely, by the way. But he said that he found himself in another environment. It was like a city, but all the buildings were made of light, but bright light, but it didn't hurt his eyes. But that was, those were the building materials. He didn't say that, I'm saying that, but buildings of light. And he was walking with what he called his guardian angel. And... Uh, the guardian angel was holding his hand. It was a lot bigger than him. So his arm was kind of up in the air. And he was being led. And then he saw his grandfather, who by the way was deceased, reading to children, reading stories, which is, you know, would be so like his grandpa. And he, hey, grandpa. And grandpa kind of acknowledged him, but you know, hey buddy, but I'm busy here, you know. So I was like, okay. And they went into a building, uh, the angel and this fellow, Seth is his name. And um, he was lifted up on this like slab. Um, and he was put on his back. And he said like surgeon angels came along. They were like surgeons. And they surrounded this table, elevated table. And they pulled out with like resistance what would have been his earthly lungs if he had been in the physical but it was like oh, pulling them out and then he said they knitted it's like they had knitting needles they were doing things couldn't see entirely didn't hurt or anything but they were very focused and they knitted things and then they oh, was some effort pushed those spiritual lungs back into his body and then he was lifted off the table 
and told that he would be led back. And as he, again, hand-holding, they pass this big door where there's a racket. <laughs> and Seth said, what's that about? And the angel hardly paid attention and said, oh, those are people just waiting to be born. They're just in a hurry. Oh my gosh. And so ever since then I thought, yeah, we beat down the door to be born. Whatever our circumstances, we signed up for the experience. Yes. And there you go. And then he was back. By the way, no lung disease. N never again. Never. It's one of those. It's not the only example of like a, a healing that makes no sense. And uh, again, these people don't leave my lives. He, he went to, uh, he got older, went to university uh, in Arizona. His mom was just terrified that the dust down there um, and all the things that the desert can bring to lung conditions would put him back on the path to being ill. And uh, he went through four years and um, was fine, but she got uh, some kind of desert lung disease with, caused by mice. I mean, it was very ironic. She's the one who got sick. And then he went on to graduate school, became an engineer. He's wow. still kicking. And I think it's important for the listeners to know that there's literally millions of these stories, mm -hmm. you know, children, adults, um, and it becomes irrefutable. I suggest that people read Bruce Grayson's new book that just came out after, man, is it? Read Kim's book first and then. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, because of alphabetical order, after and after the light are now side by side. Right, right. Perfect, because uh, Bruce Grayson's been a friend for many decades, one of my closest friends, so I'm happy about that. Yes. Yeah, so Bruce, Bruce has longitudinal studies. Talk about evidence for all this. It's amazing. And I've got the clinical stuff, so we actually are a good team. But yeah, and also, I've, I've had the um, privilege of traveling around the world. I have spoken to five indie ears in Japan through a translator, all talk about heaven. Japan is a Shinto slash Buddhist uh, country and heaven isn't exactly the lingo for either religion. Uh, lots of flowers, that's a culture, cultural reference. Uh, in um, uh, Israel's in Jerusalem, met a fellow who had a near-death experience, he's quite Jewish, and he had a friend who was quite Arab and there was no conflict between the two of them because they knew that love was the answer. And on Australia, I met a whole group of people in Sydney. Anyway, it goes, it's, it's global. Oh, and then uh, Netflix came out with this series in January called Surviving Death. Yeah, so episode one is the only episode that I can endorse because it's on near-death experiences. Um, people, I'm shown I want to say that the camera adds 50 pounds, but it doesn't. I'm, I'm so overweight. But anyway, but I liked my words, not my parents, but I like my words. It's straight at me. They really caught it. And so uh, I began to immediately be avalanched with requests for help. But the very first person who wrote to the Seattle Ions address was someone in Nepal. Oh my. The very first person, Nepal. Who obviously knew English. It's just fabulous. So Kim, you know, with all of this information and you just have, uh, it's all so precious. 
Um, do you feel, because I feel this way, that somehow we can take the wisdom we have learned from our NDEs, adults, children, and we can help the children of the world, not the ones who've had NDEs, but can help the children of the world. How do you think we could use this wisdom? And then we have to wrap it up here, but how do you think we'd use that wisdom to help these young ones? Well, I would say we're all children. Yes. At the core of us, we're all children. Uh, when we hurt, we hurt like children. When we're mad, we're mad like children. When we're happy, we're happy with children. So I would say, let's look at everyone as a child who needs a lift up. And um, what we can say to them is that, this sounds so mean, especially, you know, how do you talk to someone who's survived the Holocaust? And I have, uh, that everything happens according to what our souls need. That is so lame, but I have a way of convincing people. So I, I, I have my style, other people have their styles. Um, but uh, first and foremost, validate their lives. Validate their choices, even if they're poor choices, hear them. People just wanna be heard. Right. Um, comfort them. If, it's not a pandemic and uh, your inner physical presence, you know, touch them, you know, on the arm, on the knee, ask for, you know, you want a hug, um, love them, smile, a smile, even with a mask on, again, back to that pesky pandemic, you can squint your eyes and, you know, you tell when someone's smiling, see them. I mean, really see them and you will notice that they know they're being seen. It, people will kind of like stop. You can really see someone. So um, that's true of kids of all ages. Yes. You know, just, just be there for people, no matter what their circumstances. Um, we all were innocent little children at one time anyway. And sometimes due to, this is nature versus nurture. Sometimes we have broken brains. Sometimes we have broken lives. Sometimes we have made horrible choices. Just get in there and try to understand them and be there. Right. And love. All down to love. Beautiful. Well, Kim, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's just been wonderful. And you have a great rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Bless you. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you.